Last Sunday, Pastor Andy shared with us the baptism of our Lord by John. As we just heard today, scripture begins the next day when John saw Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lambs were sacrificed in the temple to remove the sins of the people. The lambs were a symbol of innocence and therefore were chosen to carry the people's guilt. Lamb of God also refers to the Passover lamb and the suffering servant. As we know, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was later sacrificed to take away our sins. John also referred to Jesus as rabbi, teacher, Messiah, son of God, king of Israel, son of man, and Jesus. Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed, and the Greek equivalent is Christ. To the Jews, it was the same as son of God. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed and thereby set apart for special service. Kings were especially called God's anointed. So when the Jews spoke about their Messiah, they were thinking of the king who would come to deliver them and establish the kingdom. John had been telling others that the Messiah would come. Can you imagine how exciting it must have been for John the Baptist to actually baptize Christ? And in addition to the baptism, John saw the Holy Spirit descending as a dove resting upon him. After witnessing this with Jesus and participating in this amazing experience, John knew that he could testify that Jesus really was the chosen Son of God, one of God. The following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. I don't know if we always think about it, but it's important to remember that John had disciples. He had those who followed him. And they were talking with one another, and John, Jesus walked by. John said again, look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. John was popular himself, and he also had disciples. But he did not mind that they walked away to follow Jesus. John wanted to decrease in order that Christ could increase. There was no jealousy in John. You know, it's difficult to take second place once you've enjoyed first place. But as soon as Jesus arrived on the scene, John never had any other thought than to send them to him. John's goal was to place the life of Jesus Christ in such a light that it would be unmistakably clear who he is, the Son of God, and how new life can be found in him. I'm not sure if you realized it or not, but the name John the Baptist never mentioned in the Gospel of John. He should be called John the Witness instead because he pointed others to Jesus. And when we seek Jesus, we seek God. Even today, Jesus is saying to us, come and see. He's waiting for us to seek him. He even takes the initiative and comes to meet us on the road. When Jesus said, come and see, he was inviting those early disciples not only to come and talk, 
but to come and find the things that he alone could open up to them. I'm sure that many of you remember uh, several years ago, we still hear it sometimes today, WWJD, what does that stand for? Right, well, one commentator suggested that maybe it should be WWJB and D. What would John Baptist do? We don't always know what Jesus would do, but we do know that John the Baptist did, how he invited others. He said, hey, look, see, God is alive. God is in our midst. The Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of us and through us, and even in spite of us. Behold, the Lamb of God. When we have something that we want to say, almost all of us are willing to share our testimony. John's testimony about Jesus was so effective, the two of disciples chose to follow Jesus. When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he asked them what they wanted, and they asked him where he was staying. Jesus simply said, come and see. There was no turning back, no goodbyes to family and friends, but rather they immediately followed Jesus to where he was staying and remained with him the rest of the day. To be a disciple includes finding Jesus and responding to his call directly or through others, acknowledging his true identity, and then pointing others to him as we share our testimony. One of the two disciples that immediately followed Jesus was Andrew, and Andrew then was Simon's brother. He went home and to find Simon, told him that he had found the Messiah, the Christ. And then Andrew took Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the name Peter was derived from the word rock. Well, at that time, you may remember that Peter was anything but a rock. He was impulsive and unstable. In Acts, however, he was a pillar of the early church. Jesus named him not for what he was, but for what, by God's grace, he would become. If you had lived at that time, do you think you would have just dropped everything and followed Jesus? Think about how your life is impacted by your faith. I'd like to share some questions that commentator Brett Younger wrote about our relationship or lack of to Jesus. I, I know there's a lot of them, but I want you to just try to take a moment to maybe pick out one or two that resonate with you and then spend some time during the week just thinking about how you would answer that. How would your life be different if you were not a Christian? What if you had no interest in God? What would you miss about church? Which of your friends would not be friends? How would your family change? How would you spend your time differently? Would you be home reading the New York Times right now? 
what religious activities could you do without? Would it be easier if you weren't a Christian? Do you wish you still had all the money you've given away? What do you do because you are a Christian that makes you happy? Do you feel good about the time you spend with strangers? Have there been experiences that you would hate to have missed? Hope-filled books you're glad that you read? Experiences of God's grace in worship? Or times you've cared for hurting people? If you were not a Christian, would your life be less interesting? I know why some of you came today, but how about all the rest of you? Did you come to worship, either in person or via live stream, because you were looking for something? Most of us don't come with great expectations. The religious reasons for being here, I'm sure, are mixed at best. We're interested in thinking about how we could live better lives, but only up to a point. If we're in worship today for no good reason, that's okay. Lots of people find their way by accident. Younger continues to ask this question, what are you looking for? Deep in our souls, we're looking for something to believe in and hold on to, something important enough to live for, and something big enough to claim our passions. We are looking for challenge and purpose. We are looking for God. We are looking for grace. Today's scripture began with John, then the two disciples, and then we went to Andrew and Peter. Andrew went to his brother right away. He began with family. Often the greatest test of our spirituality is in the home among those who know us the best. Often it takes more courage to witness to someone in our family than it does to a stranger. And our family constantly witnesses everything we do. They see our faith and how we live it out. And so even though it may be challenging, we need to set a good example. And hopefully, they will follow suit. Andrew never performed a miracle, but his life was a miracle of God. We need more Andrews who live their faith each day and are concerned for members of their own family. The best thing about Andrew is that wherever you find Andrew in John's gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He's inviting others to come and see. First his brother, then the lad with the loaves and fishes, and the Greeks who were seeking Jesus. We don't read any sermons recorded by Andrew, but his actions spoke volumes. He was always introducing others to Christ. It was his great joy to lead others to Jesus. He had a missionary heart. His friendship with Jesus led him to introduce others to that same friendship. He could not keep Jesus to himself. Andrew won souls. Christ. All that mattered to Andrew was to be with Jesus and to serve him as well as he could. 
William Barclay called Andrew the patron saint of all who humbly and loyally and ungrudgingly take second place. The late Peter Marshall, who gained fame as the United States Senate chaplain, wrote a sermon on Andrew that he entitled, The Saint in the Rank and File. The sermon praises the ordinary people of the earth. We don't know Andrew very well. His brother Peter seems to get most of the attention, but we ought to know him. We see a Peter only occasionally in a lifetime, but we see Andrews every day. Andrews are grocers and mechanics and farmers, police officers and firefighters and postal workers. Every church, school, and civic organization has its leaders. But behind the scenes are those who do so much of the work and never get any credit. Andrew was an ordinary man, but oh, how he was a witness for Christ. Tradition has it that Andrew took the gospel to Russia, Greece, Asia Minor, and Turkey. He lived to an old age and died a martyr's death. He died telling others of Christ. And once we respond to the invitation, it's only natural that we too should offer it to others, no matter who we are or what we do. According to tradition, it was in Greece, in the town of Postras, that Andrew died a martyr. When Andrew came to the town, Maximilia, the wife of the governor, was at the point of death. Because of Andrew's ministry to the family in this time of crisis, the governor's wife and brother both accepted Christ and became Christians. But the governor remained hostile to the Christian faith. The governor was so enraged by the conversion of his wife and his brother that he arrested Andrew. And to prolong his agony after he was condemned to death, he was nailed, not bound to the cross to prolong his agony. He died of hunger, thirst, and exposure. When faced with the cross, Andrew prayed. His ordinary life was extraordinarily powerful when lived in the spirit of the cross. Andrew's powerful witness was a result of his personal response to the invitation to come and see who Jesus was. Today, we've been excited to celebrate the sacrament of baptism. In today's passage of scripture, we have experienced the shape of Jesus' ministry. His baptism, the beginning of his ministry, the transformation of followers like Peter, and being referred to as the Lamb of God, which implies Jesus' death and resurrection. As we baptized Addison this morning, we remembered the washing away of sins and the beginning of a new life in Christ and her own special invitation to know Jesus as she grows. After Jesus invited the two disciples to come and see, they invited others to experience how they might know hope, love, peace, and joy. They discovered all the possibilities that were available as they spent time with Christ, and we can do the same. The story of the first two disciples is incomplete until their witness brought others to Jesus. 
John began a chain reaction of witnessing and discipleship. However, there are times when that discipleship might be preceded by a common see or perhaps even a doubt. Barclay shares that the greatest thing about the story in today's scripture is it tells us how Jesus looks at us. He does not only see what we are, he also sees what we can become. He not only sees the actualities, he sees the possibilities. Jesus looked at Peter and saw in him not just a Galilean fisherman, but one who had it in him to become the rock on which the church would be built. Jesus sees us not only as we are, but as we can be. And he says, give your life to me, and I will make you what you have in you to be. Once someone came and saw Michelangelo chipping away with a chisel at a huge shapeless piece of rock. He asked the sculptor what he was doing. He said, I am releasing the angel imprisoned in this marble. Jesus is the one who sees and can release the hidden possibilities in us. As we mentioned, today is Human Relations Sunday. Tomorrow we celebrate the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. He lived a faithful life by following the wisdom of the Bible. He lived his life sharing his love with others. He said, the time is always right to do what is right. He was a more temporary example of one who allowed Jesus to release the possibilities within him. So what possibilities await us? What are the possibilities to hope, to believe, and follow? When we open ourselves up to God, we are able to do things that Jesus did when he lived among us. We, too, can help those who are hurting, feed those who are hungry, spend time with those who are lonely, pray for those who are feeling broken. Listen to those who need someone who cares. Love the unlovely, forgive those who have hurt us, and so much more. We come to church to discover the possibilities that are available to us when we follow Jesus wherever he leads us. We not only have the possibility, but the responsibility to be like John and Andrew and point others to Christ. God loves you just the way you are, but he also sees what you are still able to become, no matter how young or how old you are. Come and see, follow Jesus, tell others about him. This is our challenge and our privilege as Christians. Who will be in heaven because of you?